0: Our Father and our God who art in heaven, Lord, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in this place, O God, as it is in heaven. Give us this day those ancient words and change us, Father, from what we were, that by thy grace we may be even as you are. Father, at this time, we want to thank you for the fact that you have kept us safely through another week. Father, there are souls who did not open their eyes this morning, but by thy grace alone we have gathered here tonight. And Father, as the sun has set and we have entered into holy time, we are asking for your presence to grace us here. Asking, O Lord, for the angels of heaven to come by and tabernacle for just a little while. Lord, hide me in the cleft of the rock, my Savior Jesus, and be uplifted is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good evening, family. Good evening, Good evening family. Good evening, Good evening family. Good evening. Beloved, what a wonderful time to be together. What a wonderful time to be together. Now, I see a, a few more coats than usual. Are we, are we cold? Yes? Beloved, during our time here in Michigan, Ashley and I just want to thank you so much. We have been touched by the warmth of God's people. And I mean it because it's cold. We have been touched by the warmth of God's people. Just knowing that today is the, the second to last day. It, it's touched my heart in a very specific way. And, you know, Sister Ashley and I, we were talking. Today, we, we had the privilege of visiting uh, your zoo. Have any of you been to the zoo before? Beloved, I got to see a lion for the first time. Somebody says, Brother Paul, don't you live in New York? You never been to the Bronx Zoo? In New York, it tends to be uh, very, very packed and overpopulated, very crowded. And so the animals tend to hide. But today, we got to spend some time with some good family friends. And we were there at the zoo, and we saw the lion. And uh, I have a video. He walked right up to me. And as I'm watching him, you know who I'm thinking about? The Bible calls him the lion of the tribe of Judah. His name is Jesus. And I can't wait, beloved, for the day that I walk on streets of gold with Jesus Christ. For the day when there's no fence between myself and a lion, but I can actually pet the lion. You ever thought about petting a lion before? How many of you have dogs or cats? Can you imagine having a cat that big? Now, beloved, I wouldn't advise it on this earth. But by the grace of God, the day is coming very soon. I believe that time is very short. Time is very precious. And every moment of it since we've been with you has been a blessing as we've spent it with Jesus. Tonight is going to be no different, beloved. We're going to spend time talking about that man. Now, I'm going to start off with a bit of a pop quiz. I know nobody told you you'd have a pop quiz. You didn't know that, did you? That's why it's called a pop quiz. And I just want you to answer me as as we're moving along. The Bible speaks of a man by the name of Christ Jesus. Amen? Jesus died as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the? Matthew 1.21 tells us his name is called Jesus, for he shall save his people how? from their sin, not in our sin, amen, but from our sins. There's been a continuous theme of God's desire to save us from our sin, not to leave us in our sinful condition, but to do what? Cleanse. What's the word? Cleanse us. Now, in last night's, see, Lord, I'm thinking, two nights ago, we had a study, and does anybody remember the subject of the study, what we were talking about? There was something called the sanctuary. Do you remember this? And as we looked at the Hebrew sanctuary, we learned that Christ has not one office in the plan of redemption, but guess how many? Two. Somebody said three? I didn't go there, brother. But you're right. While the Bible preaches about Christ as a lamb, the Bible as a dying lamb, the Bible says that Christ is also a living priest. He's a living priest. We're living sacrifices. Amen. He is a living priest that's all right sister by the grace of God it takes a dying lamb to pay the price isn't that right but it takes a living priest to make us right isn't that right beloved do you know that those who accept the lamb by the grace of God are to follow on by faith to accept his work as priest and those who accept the cleansing work as priest are those who will welcome him as king at the end of days did you know that have you received the blood of the lamb of God Have you received him as your high priest? Can Jesus reign in your lives as king? Beloved, if all three, yes, 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 then by the grace of God, I believe that we are in the right place to continue our study on the man Christ Jesus to see for ourselves what it is that God intends to do in this final generation. Now we're talking about a subject I've entitled, Our Prophetic Birth Date. What did I call it? How many of you in this room are Christians? How many of you know why? You sound like you have your passport, sister. She says, Because we have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that a good answer? In our generation right now, beloved, do you know that there's a world of people who refuse to accept or hear anything about Christ? And more often than not, you'll learn from these people that the reason why they refuse to receive Christ isn't because they don't like what they hear. Nine out of ten, beloved, it's because they don't like what they see. People that claim a savior from sin, but our lives are exactly the same. I believe we're living in a generation where God is getting ready to do something very special about that. Where the very savior that you and I profess will be the same Jesus That our neighbors, our co-workers, our family, our friends, even our enemies by the grace of God will see him shining from within. I have one more question for this pop quiz. It's been an easy pop quiz, amen? Pretty easy. By show of hands, how many of you have a birth date? Some of you weren't born. We're just warming up, beloved, it's all right. We all have a birth date. How important is your birth date to you? What is the significance of your birth date? My sister shook her head. No, I I, I shake my hand with you. You don't have a birth date anymore? That's all right. We can be born again. Amen? We can be born again, beloved. By the grace of God, everyone in this room has been born. Everybody had a day, a specific time that you came into the world. Do you know that for me, one of the greatest holidays, the greatest holidays that I can celebrate, is July 6th, 1995. Anybody ask me why? That was the day that Sister Ashley was born. Now, is that a reason for Brother Paul to celebrate? Beloved, if you don't say it, I'll say it again. That's a reason for Brother Paul to celebrate. The fact that Sister Ashley came into this world is something that I celebrate. Do you know that Jesus has a very special date that even at this time is celebrated in heaven? We're talking about our prophetic birth date, beloved. We're not here in this generation for just any reason. I want you to understand that there have been generations of believers before you. Did you know that? There have been generations of believers before us who were looking for the coming of Christ. Did you know that? And generation after generation after generation have died believing in the soon-coming Savior. Do you believe that Christ is coming soon? Careful what you say, beloved. We're going to see from the Word of God tonight that we are not every generation that came before us. We're living in a very special and crucial time. Something was born right on time. We're going to talk about it in a moment. For a specific work. For a specific what? And when that work, by the grace of God, is finished, Jesus will come. In our generation. Now, somebody says, Brother Paul, how can you say that? Doesn't the Bible say, No man knows the day nor the hour? Now, did I give you a day? Did I give you an hour? All I said was, We're living in the generation. Isn't that right? Did you know Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, This generation shall not pass until all things be fulfilled. Now, why would Jesus say those words if it were not possible? to understand the generation that will usher in his coming. Wouldn't that be wonderful news to know? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could leave this place understanding and knowing for uh, without a shadow of a doubt that when we say Christ is coming soon, he is in fact coming soon. There are people today who preach that Jesus is coming soon and they leave the very same pulpit they preached it from thinking that their children's children and their children's children's children are going to see COVID 0.20 and 21.5. Beloved, let me tell you something. Jesus is interested in wrapping this thing up. Are you? Have you had enough suffering? Have you had enough death? Beloved, I am sick and tired of this world, respectfully. I've enjoyed my time with you, but I think my time with you is better spent under that tree of life. What do you say? It's time to wrap this up by the grace of God. We're going to talk about our prophetic birth date. Can you see the screen can you see the screen how significant is vision the ability to see beloved talk to me how important is that do you suppose that if brother paul could not see i'd have an issue standing right here yes what would happen to me i thank god we've been studying about a savior that can keep us from falling so then my eyes have to be open vision is very important did you know that your bible says in the book of proverbs chapter 29 let's turn there Proverbs chapter 29, the Bible says something very special about vision and God's church in these last days. In the book of Proverbs chapter 29 in verse 18, say amen when you're with me. Amen. Proverbs chapter 29 in verse 18, the Bible says, where there is no vision, where there is no what? The people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The Bible says that where there is no vision, the people do what? I'm going to ask again. How important is vision in these last days? Does God want his church to perish? So then God has to make sure his church has vision. Isn't that right? Because where there is no vision, the people do what? Perish. In the book, The Great Controversy, page 409, we're told these words the scripture, which above all others had been both the foundation and the central pillar of the advent faith. What faith, beloved? Now, let me stop there because I want us to catch this. Does it say the seventh day advent faith? It says the what? Does anybody in here know what the word advent means? By show of hands, how many of you believe, well, let me say that again because I don't know if they heard you, the the word Advent means the coming of, the second coming of Jesus. Do any of you believe in a second coming of Jesus? By show of hands, I just want to know who. That's just about everybody, no, that is everybody in this room, praise the Lord. We all believe that Jesus is coming again. I trust the word of God, do you? Do you know that if you believe that Jesus is coming again, you are called an Adventist? That's what the word means, the word Advent simply means those who believe in the second coming of Jesus. Now in the 1800's when this terminology was used, the word Advent did not yet mean Seventh Day Adventist, did you know that? Now I've been honest with you, I've told you Brother Paul is a Seventh Day Adventist, have I not? I have Baptist friends in here, I have Lutheran friends in here, I have Roman Catholic friends in here, we've all talked and and, and praised the Lord. Now, I'm only telling you who I am. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. But the name Seventh-day Adventist did not exist until the year 1863. Do you know that prior to 1863, there were Methodists who believed in the second coming of Christ? Are there some today? Did you know that prior to 1863, there were Lutherans who believed in the second coming of Christ? Do they exist today? Yes, they do. The word Advent, beloved, belongs to the people who believe that Christ is coming again. Now, how we got to the way Seventh Day Adventist? Do you remember we talked about something called the Sabbath, yeah. the seventh day? A Seventh Day Adventist. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to. This is the message for tomorrow. If I if I if I tell you, do you promise that you'll still come? And yeah. well, yeah. I don't laugh with me and don't show up. I'll be very sad. Praise God. Good news. Amen. <laughs> praise the lord the name seventh day adventist beloved implies not only the the belief in the second coming of jesus but the fact that we believe in the creator of heaven and earth who blessed and rested on the what day seventh day so i keep the seventh day sabbath not because i'm a legalist but because i have a close intimate and personal relationship with my creator his name is jesus and I have the word Advent at the end of my name because I believe with all of my heart, beloved, that Jesus is getting ready to come again. So when we're talking about an Advent faith, understand we're talking about those who believe in the second coming of Christ. That is you. That is me. She says the foundation and the central pillar of the Advent faith was the declaration unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Daniel 8.14. Now, we didn't go into Daniel 8.14 two nights ago, did we? Did we mention it? Did we see from Daniel chapter 8 that the little horn power would cast down the truth of the sanctuary of God? Did we see how the sacrifice of Christ was replaced by penance? How the altar of incense, which represents his mediation, was uh, replaced by confessional booths? Did we see how the labor in the sanctuary which represented baptism was replaced by sprinkling and infant baptism? Beloved, were you there? Did we also see how during the 13 through the 15 through the 16, 17, and 1800s, God, by raising up all of these different denominations, was restoring to his people out of the dark ages the truth concerning his sanctuary? Now, if you don't remember that, beloved, I hope you have your notes. I hope you have your notes because in the notes, all of these things are historically listed for us. Now, why did we list it that way for us to have? God wants us to understand that every single one of us has a part to play in the plan of redemption. Did you know that? Did you know that when the Lutheran church was founded, God rose up that church? No, you didn't hear what I said. When the Lutheran church was founded, did you know God rose up that church? Martin Luther was a man of God. Beloved, study the history. The just shall live by. Do you believe it today? So do I. Do you know that when God raised up the Baptist denomination, it was he that raised up that church? He did the same with the Methodists. He did the same with the Presbyterians. I showed you the history that all throughout, it was as though we were members of one great team. What has happened is the question. We have a world of Christians today who receive the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, but know nothing of a living priest. We receive the blood of a dying lamb, but we know nothing of a living priest. How many offices does Jesus have in the plan of redemption? How many? I'm going to ask this bench to be quiet. How many offices does Jesus have in the plan of redemption? I see the number two. I know my brother said three. I agree with that. Jesus is the Lamb of God first. Amen? Did he stay in the tomb? He resurrected. Where did he go after he resurrected? He went to heaven. What has he been doing in there? John chapter 14. Talk to me, beloved. John chapter 14. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. You see, they get louder when they know the answer. Praise the Lord. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Is that what he's doing tonight? Yes, so then Jesus is chiseling out streets of gold. Talk to me. Jesus is making mansions right now. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. That word are is present tense, meaning when Jesus said it, it was already done. So then in order to prepare a place, Jesus does not need to chisel out streets of gold. What he needs to do is make sure that your heart and my heart have a spiritual condition that matches that of heaven. Can we enter into heaven in a sinful condition? There was an angel by the name of Lucifer. Do you remember him? What happened to Lucifer as a result of finding himself in a sinful condition? The Bible says he was cast out. I like your words better. The Bible says that he fell. Falling, according to Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 and 9, is to be in a sinful condition. So in order for us to enter heaven, God cannot leave us in a sinful, fallen condition. He must prepare a people to do what? Talk to me. Stand. Did we see that from our Bibles? Do you remember those people that talked to rocks? The Bible says they cried to the rocks and they said, Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Uh, uh, who shall be able to? Is God preparing a people to stand? Can you stand and fall at the same time? So then God has to bring a people to a place where they are no longer doing what? Falling. No longer sinning, beloved, by the grace of God. Let me tell you something. That is a great work, is it not? That's a, that's a great, let me, I'll, I'll speak from my personal experience. That is a mighty work. I know that none but Jesus can accomplish that. This is why I accept the Lamb, and today I follow only my high priest. Now, finishing the quotation, it says, Unto two thousand and three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. These had been familiar words to all believers in the Lord's soon coming. By the lips of thousands was this prophecy repeated as the watchword of their faith. All felt that upon the events therein foretold depended their brightest expectations and their most cherished hopes. The Bible says in the book of Daniel chapter 8, 14, unto 2,000, say that with me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed by show of hands. How many of you could break down the 2,300-day prophecy right now? By show of hands, how many of you would like to be equipped to do so by the grace of God? We came to the right study tonight. I said we're going to be studying our prophetic birth date. What did I say? How many of you have a birth certificate? Prophetically, the Bible says we have one this evening. We have a reason to exist this evening, a reason to preach the soon coming of Christ this evening. People talk about COVID-19, and do they have a right to talk about it? Is it going on? Beloved, there's something much more real, much more solemn, much more wonderful going on right now in heaven under the ministration of our high priest. His name is Jesus. And if we can understand tonight, And by the grace of God, we will. We have 36 minutes. We're going to get it done. Amen? If we can understand tonight what this prophecy of Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14 is talking about, then you and I will find ourselves equipped not only to help ourselves and our families, but to bring a gospel to the world of a risen, a risen, a what, beloved? And soon coming high priest. Do you want to know the message? Are you ready to move forward? On our screen, beloved, we have a picture. The man has his back to you, but you know who that man is. Who is that man? Talk to me. Jesus. Now, in Daniel chapter 8, verses 13-14, the Bible said unto 2,300 days. How many days? If we're taking notes, these are are points that I want us to jot down. So the first is 2,300 days. What we want to understand tonight is what are these 2,300 days? Where do they begin? And where do they end? And not only that, but what are their significance to you and I? Are those good questions? The Bible says 2,300 days and then. The word then, beloved, implies that if you and I could accurately get from the Bible alone, the end of the 2,300 days, there is something at the end of those days you and I should be expecting. Are we expecting Jesus to come? Were we expecting Jesus to be doing a work of cleansing before that? Follow on, beloved. The Bible says 2,300 days, then this thing called the sanctuary. What is it called? What we want to know tonight is what is this thing called the sanctuary? We've talked about the Hebrew sanctuary, did we not? About the slaying of lambs and bulls and all these things. Is there anyone in this room who has ever slayed a lamb yet? Beloved, you're making me afraid. Have you ever slayed a lamb? Personally, no, right? Well, most of us know, because some may be farmers, now that I'm thinking about it, some may be farmers, but you've never slayed a lamb before. Is there anyone in their Christian experience who has received the lamb of God? Do you know that that's the reason why we don't slay lambs today? But the question is often looked over by Christians in our generation. If we have accepted the lamb's sacrifice at the altar of sacrifice, that's Jesus, then what happened to the labor that came after that? What happened to the seven-branch candlestick that came after that? What happened to the altar of incense, to the table of shoebread? What happened to the Ark of the Covenant? God has a three-phase plan. Talk to me, a three-phase what? The Bible called it outer court, holy place. And what was that final place? most holy place. Beloved, the majority of the world today, the majority of the world that call themselves Christians are contending with the devil with only one-third of God's plan of redemption. But I told you two nights ago, beloved, it's not one strike, not two strikes, but how many strikes? Three strikes and the devil is out. How many phases of the plan do we need to succeed in our generation? How many phases of the plan are we willing to receive if Jesus is the center of every three phase? The Bible says that thing called the sanctuary, we're going to see what that is, that thing called the sanctuary would be cleansed at the end of the 2300 days. Now on our screen, beloved, we have a timeline the Bible said unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So we're talking about 2,300 days. How many days are we talking about? Now it's important that we follow along. I want you to be able to explain this like the back of your hand, beloved. And if you don't know how to explain it like the back of your hand, by the grace of God, you'll be able to explain it like the back of your notes. Praise God. But we're going to take our time so that we can understand this thing. The Bible said in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14, unto 2,000." days so we know the duration of the prophecy amen does anybody know from the bible it's an open book test how much 2300 days actually equals in bible prophecy i hear the, i hear the answer let's go to ezekiel chapter 4 for those who may not have seen this before we're turning in our bibles to the book of ezekiel chapter 4 and i want to mention right now beloved i want you to note that as we're studying this 2300-day prophecy, I will not use outside sources. As we're studying this 2300-day prophecy, beloved, we want nothing except the Word of God. Amen? I want you to see from your Bible that this thing called the 2300 days and where it leads us is not an invention by any man. It's from the Word of God, Ezekiel chapter 4. Are we there? In the book of Ezekiel chapter 4, beginning at verse 6, the Bible says, and when thou hast accomplished them, lie again on your right side, and thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Judah for how long? Forty days. I have appointed you each day for a what? For a year. So follow the principle. The Bible says, lay on your side for forty Days, but then the Bible says that God said to the prophet Ezekiel that he has appointed each day for a. So then, if God told Ezekiel to lay on his side for 40 days, follow the thought, but each day represents a. Then the 40 days were symbolic of how long? Is that an easy concept? 40 days equal. Because one biblical day equals one biblical, or I should say prophetic, because the Bible does speak about literal days when you go to the book of Genesis. One prophetic day in prophecy is the equivalent to one prophetic, one literal year. One day, one year. If we're looking at 2,300 days in Daniel 8 and verse 14, then according to the Bible, 2,300 days were actually 2,300 what? Literal years. Do we want another evidence for that? Beloved, we always want more evidence, yes. Let's go in our Bibles to the book of Numbers chapter 14. We're going in our Bibles to the book of Numbers chapter 14. God told Ezekiel that each day, prophetically, would be appointed for a year. In the book of Numbers chapter 14, and by show of hands, does anybody know who wrote the book of Numbers? Moses. So we're going to read what Moses had to say on the matter in the book of Numbers chapter 14, beginning at verse 34. Uh, Begin at verse 33, in fact. The Bible says, And your children shall wander in the wilderness for how long? Forty years. And bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of the days in which you searched the land, even forty days, how many days? Each day for a what? For a year. Shall you bear your iniquities. So the Bible says, well let me finish the text, shall you bear your iniquities even 40 years and you shall know my breach of promise. Moses says that the children of Israel had to stay in the wilderness for 40 years. For how long? 40 years. Symbolic of the 40 days that they had rebelled against God. 40 days equaled 40 years, according to Moses, number chapter 14. Did we see that? In the book of Ezekiel, we saw that a day is symbolic of a? So again, from the very offset, if we're going to talk about a 2300-day prophecy, tell me what we're talking about, beloved. 2300 years. Are we in agreement on that from the Bible? Can we move forward? Now, in order to understand the ending of the 2,300 days, what would we first have to understand, beloved? The beginning. It's impossible to get to the accurate ending if you don't have the accurate what? Can we agree on that? Does the Bible give us any intimation as to where this prophecy that Gabriel gives Daniel, where it begins? Does the Bible tell us this? Let's go in our Bibles to the book of Daniel chapter 9. We're going to turn in our Bibles to the book of Daniel chapter 9, beloved. In the book of Daniel chapter 9, we're going to begin at verse 20. Say amen when you're with me. The Bible says, this is Daniel speaking, And while I was speaking and praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people the sin of who who were Daniel's people says it right there in the text the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God yea while I was speaking in prayer even the man Gabriel who beloved So everything we're about to read here, Gabriel was the one who gave the understanding to the prophet Daniel. The Bible says, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the hour or the time of the evening oblation, and he informed me and talked with me. And said, Oh Daniel, I am now come forth to give you skill and what? Understanding. At the beginning of your supplication, the commandment came forth. And I am come to show you, for you are what? Greatly beloved. Beloved. Gabriel told Daniel that what we're getting ready to understand, Daniel was only told because Daniel was greatly what? Beloved. Are you greatly loved of God? John 3, 16 says, for God so loved. Do you know the Bible does not say, for God loved the world? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Beloved, you are beloved in the same way that the prophet Daniel was beloved of heaven, and in the same way that Gabriel gave understanding to Daniel. God desires you and I to have understanding this evening. Because we are greatly beloved. We study prophecy not because we are afraid. We study because of the love of Jesus. Amen? It says, I am come to show thee for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. This evening we are going to understand. This evening by the grace of God we are going to consider this vision. Beginning at verse 24. The Bible says 70. Weeks. How long, beloved? Take your notes. How long? Seventy weeks are determined upon who? Thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sin and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness. Righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy, that is Jesus. The Bible says in verse 24 that 70 weeks, how many weeks, beloved? 70 weeks, a period of 70 weeks, was determined upon Daniel's people. Who were Daniel's people? Talk to me. Israel. So the Bible says, I'm repeating myself, that a time period of 70 weeks was given to the people of Israel. Did we see that from Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24? Question. How much does a day symbolize in Bible prophecy? One year. year. The Bible says that Israel was given 70 weeks. Now follow me. How many days are in one week? Are you sure? Yes, yes, seven days, amen? Seven days are in one week. If you were to take those seven days and multiply them, now some of you are reaching for your calculator, that's all right, I would do the same. If you were to take those seven days, that's one week, amen, and multiply it by 70 weeks, what number would you get? you would get 490 days. But in Bible prophecy, 490 days would be the equivalent to 490 literal what? Years. Years. So going back again, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24, 70 weeks or 490 literal years were determined upon Daniel's people. Who were they? Israel. So in order to understand the beginning of the 2300-day prophecy, You know, often in in Christianity, I've seen people, you know, they'll talk about the 2300 days, and then they'll talk about the 70 weeks as though they were two separate prophecies. Did you know that the 70-week prophecy actually takes place within the 2300-day prophecy? The 70-week prophecy is a prophecy in and of itself. We're going to see this in a moment. But the 70 weeks take place within the greater prophecy. The greatest prophecy, the longest prophecy, the what? I'm going to say that one more time. The longest prophecy in all of the Bible is the 2300-day prophecy. Amen? Now, we need to understand this from our Bibles. The Bible said that 70 weeks or 490 literal years would be given to Israel. That happens within the 2300-day prophecy. The question still remains. Before we can reach the ending of the prophecy, what do we need to know? The beginning. Verse 25, beloved. I love that God doesn't leave us to guess at anything. Whenever we have a question, the only thing we need to do is read further in the verse. Did you know that? Verse 25. What is the beginning of this prophecy? The Bible says, guess, therefore. Talk to me, Brother Mo. What does the Bible say? It says, no. Are we doing any guessing this evening? Not by the grace of God. The Bible says, No, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to do what? Restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in perilous times. There's a lot in that verse. We're going to break it all down. Let's start with the very first mentionings. The Bible said, Know therefore that from the going forth of the commandment to do what? Restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So the beginning of our prophecy, beloved, is from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild what? Now by show of hands, I don't know if we have any historians in here, does anybody know in what year the commandment went forth to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem? Can I be honest with you? It was a trick question. There were three times that the commandment went forth. Did we know that? The Bible speaks of a king by the name of Cyrus. The Bible speaks of a king by the name of Darius. And the Bible speaks of a king by the name of Artaxerxes. Now, while those may not be names that you would choose, Artaxerxes is a very long name. Those are the names of the kings that gave the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So the commandment went forth not one time, but guess how many times? Now, I'm going to show you, beloved, History will let you know that it was in 457, what year? 457 B.C. What are the words B.C.? What does that mean? 457 years B.C., we were told that history says that the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem was given. Now, does anybody know where in your Bible you can read the commandment that was given? Go to your Bibles to the book of Ezra. We're turning in our Bibles to what book? Ezra. We're going to Ezra chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 14. We're turning in our Bibles to the book of Ezra chapter 6, and we're looking at verse 14. Are we there? Amen. The Bible says, And the elders of the Jews built... And they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. And they built and they did what? Finished it. According to the. Are we still turning, beloved? The Bible says in verse 14 of Ezra chapter 6, And the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. And they built and they did what? Finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and who? Artaxerxes, kings of Israel. Persia. The Bible says that there were three kings. How many kings? Cyrus, Darius, and what was the last one's name? Artaxerxes. The Bible says under the commandment of these three kings, the order went forth to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. Now you can google it, but history will tell you that it was in 457 BC that that commandment went forth. So where is the beginning, beloved? of the 2300 day prophecy. Amen. Daniel said in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25 that the beginning of the prophecy was from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild. Now that we know that that commandment went forth in 457 BC, we find the beginning of our prophecy. Is that good news? Beloved, do you know that once you understand the beginning, it becomes easier to get what? Now, if you didn't know 457 BC at that commandment was your starting point, would you be in trouble? Yes, yes, you would. It would be impossible to find the accurate ending without first identifying the accurate beginning. Now, in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25, I want you to understand these two uh, sets of years right here. Let's turn back in our Bibles to the book of Daniel. We're turning back in our Bibles to the book of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25. At this time, we're in that time prophecy that the Bible called 70 weeks. How long did the Bible call it? 70 weeks, beginning in 457 B.C. And it's supposed to bring us to this year over here, which we will see in a moment. The Bible said that these 70 weeks were determined upon Daniel's people. Who are they? Israel. We saw from our Bibles that if a day equals a year and there are seven days in how many weeks? Seven days in three weeks? One week. Amen. If there are seven days in one week, then if you took the seven days and multiplied it by 70, it would leave you with 490 days, or in Bible prophecy, 490 literal years, beginning in 457 B.C., So we're in the midst of this 70-week prophecy dealing with Israel in verse 25 when the Bible says in Daniel chapter 9, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, 457 B.C., unto the Messiah the Prince shall be how long? Seven weeks and Three score and two weeks. The Bible says that from the going forth of the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem, there would be a period of seven weeks and three score and two weeks. Does anybody know biblically what a score, what is that number, what is a score? You guys are making me happy tonight. A score in Bible prophecy is the number 20, amen? Amen. Now, if the Bible is talking about three score, but you multiply 20, which is a score, by three, you'd end up with what? 60. 20 times three, two four, 60. Amen? But if it's three score and two weeks, then it's not 60 weeks, it is 62. Are we following? Yes, 62 weeks. So the Bible says that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince, we're going to see where that is, would be a period of seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, how many days are in one week? Seven. So then if we took those seven days, beloved, and multiplied it by the seven weeks period, you would end up with what? For I, I'm hearing the right numbers. I just want you to know again, I'm going to tell you, beloved, it's okay to use a calculator. Praise the Lord. It's all right. We want to make sure that we're accurate. Praise God. Seven times seven is 49. But if it would bring us to 49 days, 49 days in Bible prophecy equal 49 literal years. And when you apply the same principle to the 62 weeks, you would end up with 434 days or 434 literal years. Now is that a mouthful? You going to remember all of that, beloved? Is it a mouthful? It's a lot. By the grace of God, the notes are available. I want you to know it like the back of your hand, but if not, you'll know it like the back of your notes. Praise God. So we're following. The Bible says from 457 B.C. at the commandment of Artaxerxes to restore and rebuild the temple of Jerusalem would be a period of 49 years and 434 years. Now, if you were to add seven weeks and 62 weeks, how many weeks would you get? Somebody says, Brother Paul, I didn't know we came to math class tonight. <laughs> Beloved, we want to understand this thing, amen? Everything that, listen, I told you the first night, I remember I was talking to you guys, and I, you must have thought I was joking. I told you that the Bible is a history book. Did we see history in the Bible? Beloved, everything from Babylon to Medo-Persia to Alexander the Great, all of there, right there in the Bible. Even things going on right now, right there in the Bible. I told you the Bible is a perfect textbook. Are we now seeing that there's mathematics in the Bible too? Beloved, Jesus is a wonderful number. And I believe that he can help us understand this evening. What do you say? If you were to take the seven weeks and the 62 weeks from 457 BC leading onto the coming of Messiah, you would end up with 69 weeks. Do I have to ask you the mathematical equation? Or should I have mercy? Because there's silence, I won't have mercy. The Bible says (laughs) that if you were to take a day, a day would equal a year. year. How many days in one week? If you multiplied those seven days, beloved, by the 69 weeks, you would end up with 483 days, which are symbolic of 483 literal Praise the Lord. Now, it's interesting because dealing with the Jews, the Jews weren't given 69 weeks, were they? In Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24, the Bible said, 70 weeks are determined unto your people. Did we read that? Now we're seeing that before the 70 weeks are up, there was this period from 457 B.C. unto the coming of Messiah the Prince that the Bible calls a 69-week period. Did God give the Jews only 69 weeks? How many weeks did he give them? 70. So then if God gave the Jews 69 weeks, If God gave the Jews 70 weeks, how long? But by the coming of Messiah, according to the Bible, we're about to see this, there was a period of 69 weeks, then at the coming of Messiah, how many weeks are left out of the 70 to accomplish? Beloved, we haven't even gotten there yet. But the fact that you see that is critical. I need you to hold on to that. If God gave the Jews a 70-week period, And by the coming of the Messiah Jesus, 69 weeks are accomplished. Then, when Christ was here, you don't have the year yet, but when Christ was here after the 69 weeks, there was how much left out of the 70 weeks to accomplish? One week. Do you know that the reason why the Bible split this time period of seven weeks and three score and two weeks? was because in 457 B.C., while the commandment was there to go forth and build Jerusalem, it wasn't until 408 B.C. that God's people got to move on that. The issue with ancient Israel was the same issue with present Israel today. They had become so comfortable in Babylonian captivity that when the news came that they could finally go home. Rather than taking up and gathering the children, Gathering our wives and our husbands and making our way back to the city of God, we stayed there for seven weeks, 49 years, and in 408 BC, the Bible says there was a man by the name of Nehemiah. Have you ever heard of him? A man by the name of Nehemiah who served the king as a cupbearer, and Nehemiah was crying before Artaxerxes for the land of his father's. He said, I understand that I'm living here in Babylonian captivity, but God has not said that we are to stay in Babylonian captivity. God is calling a people out of Babylon. He's calling a people where, beloved? Now, if God did that in Nehemiah's day, do you suppose God is calling a people out of Babylon tonight? History repeats itself, beloved. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in 408 B.C., 49 years beyond the commandment to go and restore it, God's people finally begin to do exactly as he says. But the Bible says that after the seven-week period, there would be 62 weeks until what? Talk to me. The Messiah. Go back to Daniel chapter 9. I want us to see that in verse 25. The Bible says, "...know therefore and understand..." that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, what year was that, beloved? 457 B.C. The Bible says that from 457 B.C. unto what? Are we in our Bibles? Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25, the Bible says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until when, beloved? The Messiah shall be a period of seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The Bible said that this period of 69 weeks would end at the coming of the Messiah. The coming of who? By show of hands. How many of you know who the Messiah is? <laughs> My brother said the name. I asked for show of hands. He gave me more. Praise God. Jesus is the Messiah. Does anyone know what the name Messiah means in Hebrew? Did you know that the name Messiah means the anointed one? The name Messiah means the anointed one. What does Messiah mean? Now, follow me, beloved, because the Bible says that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem in 457 B.C. unto the coming of the Messiah. What does Messiah mean? I'm going to repeat myself. From the going forth of the commandment in 457 B.C. unto the coming of the Anointed One. Is that what your Bible says? Would be a period of seven weeks and 62 weeks. In 27 A.D., beloved, somebody very special began a mission. Now, if you're thinking, you should be asking me the question, does 27 A.D. mean that that was the year Jesus was born? Would that be historically accurate? Do you know that? That, That's not historically accurate. Do you know Jesus was not born in 27 A.D.? Did you know that? The Bible did not say from the going forth of the commandment until the birth of Christ would be that time period. It said from the going forth of the commandment unto the Messiah. And what did I tell you Messiah means in Hebrews? Beloved, talk to me. So then if you and I could find in our Bibles right now at what point in Christ's earthly ministry he became the anointed one, then you and I can identify when in his earthly ministry Jesus became the Messiah. Is that something you want to know? By show of hands, how many of you already know when it was that Jesus was anointed? All right, so I'm going to ask that you guys, shh, all right. Do you remember in your Bible the day that Jesus was baptized? Do you remember what happened on that day, beloved? Do you want to turn in your Bibles to see? Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. I heard a quiet yes, but it (laughs) rang in my ears as a loud cry. Thank you, Sister Samantha. We're going in our Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 4. I want you to see this, beloved. The Bible is so sweet. In the book of Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 18. Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 18. Jesus says, The Spirit... Of the Lord is where follow it beloved this is key the Bible says the spirit of the Lord is where upon me why because he hath he hath done what anointed me follow what Jesus said Jesus says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me Me. What do the words anointed one mean in Hebrew? Talk to me. Messiah. Messiah. So then if you and I can find out when it was that Jesus had the Spirit placed upon him, you and I would know when it was that he became the anointed one or the Messiah. When in Jesus' earthly ministry did the Spirit of God come down upon him? Does anybody know? Now I hope we're listening because I gave the answer earlier right here. Go to verse 1 of Luke chapter 4. The Bible says, And Jesus, being full of what? The Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Does anybody remember at the baptism of Jesus, Jesus went down into the water, amen? Was he sprinkled? Talk to me. He went down into the water, amen? We know that because he came up out of the water. Praise God. And when Jesus came up out of the water, do you remember that the heavens opened and the Spirit of God in the form of a dove came down upon Jesus and the voice of the Father was heard saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Did the Spirit of God come down on Jesus at his baptism? Talk to me, beloved. Yes? Did Jesus say the Spirit of God would be upon him because God hath anointed him? So then at the baptism of Christ, we find not just Jesus as he was before, but Jesus as an anointed one, or in other words, the ministry of Messiah had begun. Now somebody asked me the question, does that mean that Jesus wasn't a savior before he, uh, 27 AD? Is that what that means? Do you know that Jesus was a savior from the womb? That from the womb, Jesus is an example to children. That as he grew up, Jesus is an example to our children. That as Jesus reached his adolescent years, Jesus is an example to adolescence. But in 27 AD, in a special manner, Jesus entered upon the work of Messiah according to the Bible. Can we see that? Now somebody says, well, how do you know it was 27 AD? Did we have our starting point? The Bible said from 457 BC, there would be a period of 7 weeks, 49 years, and 62 weeks, which is 434 years, which would lead us from the building of Jerusalem onto Messiah the Prince. Now, if you were to take the 434 years and subtract it from 408, some of you may say, well, we we get a different date. Do you know that the year zero is a year that must be counted? Do you know that? Does the year zero exist? How do we go from 457 B.C. to 27 A.D. by the coming of Christ, And here we are in the year 2021. Let me ask you a question. Historically speaking, has the Earth only been around for 2,021 years? Has the Earth been around for longer than that? So then there was a change in the way that we looked at time. When you study the historic charts, you'll see that time used to be counted backwards. Did you know that? It's as though the entire world was expecting something. So you go from 457 to 456, to 455, to 454, to 453, all the way down to zero, and then you begin to count up. It is in our time frame that we go from 2021, and guess what next year is going to be? 2022. We count up when they counted down. Do, Do you know that? When you're looking at BC, you're looking at a countdown. You're looking at a what? When you get to AD, you're counting up. You're counting what? 27 AD, beloved, we had the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting to know about the ministry of Jesus is if Jesus' work as Messiah began in 27 AD at that baptismal pool, when the Spirit of God came down upon him and he was the anointed one, then at the end of 69 weeks was God done with the Jews. How much time was given to Israel? Now, I want want to make this point very, very clear, very, very clear. When God gives a time frame to a people, do you know he's talking to to, to the system of the people? He's not talking to individuals. Do you know that even though Israel of old rejected the Messiah, there are Jewish men today that receive the same Messiah? Did you know that? Do you know that when all denominations turn their way from Jesus, Jesus is still looking at the individual heart? Jesus is seeking to save individuals who will take a stand for him in truth. Do you know that?